Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. This episode will be our themes episode and we'll cover nature and technology and how they relate to education. So as we have gone through the previous three episodes in this series on education, these themes really came up a lot. The use of technology and how that is being used to aid education and even structure entire curriculum programs, as well as nature. A lot of the homeschooling programs in particular really hone in on nature and doing things related to nature, and that is a big part of a lot of those specific methods that I covered. So I wanted to do this themes episode where I really fleshed out some of these ideas, and it's not necessarily a dichotomy where it's either nature or technology. They both have a role to play. They both have their pros and their cons, and so I wanted to talk about those and what roles they do play in education and in our learning not only as small children, but also with us as adults as well. So let's start off with nature and talk about how nature relates to learning. One of the core aspects of nature in relation to learning is observation. If you are spending a lot of time in nature and learning through using nature and being outside, being around wildlife, this kind of stuff, you are having to do a lot of observations. That's how you're going to do most of your learning. And this will help you to be a better observer in general. As you are doing this, you are identifying the setting that you're in. You're looking at the geography. You're looking at the flora and fauna. You're looking at the weather. These types of things are things you are learning and you're noticing and observing. You are observing relationships. So this could be related to ecology or if there are people around, then this could even be sociology as well. You are noticing different species of plants and animals, so you are also learning biology and some of the different sciences and natural sciences. So there's a lot involved when you are out in nature, even just when we look at this idea of observation. So as you are observing nature and your surroundings, you're taking note of your surroundings. You are identifying problems that exist in nature and different systems that are in place. You are observing how different things interact with each other. You're recognizing the differences in different things. You're recognizing the differences in plants, say trees, for example, what their different leaves look like, what colors they turn in the fall and in the spring, what the bark looks like, if there are any fruits or nuts or seed pods. All of these things are things that you notice if you are outside observing these types of things. If you are not, you are not going to notice any of these things. And this is not just specifically related to nature. When you are observing these different relationships and these different aspects, and you are building your powers of observation of the world around you, this really helps you to understand the human world as well. The human world is basically just a subset of the natural world as a whole. The complexity of the systems involved in nature are much more complex than the systems involved with humans and society, how we interact together, how different systems interact with each other, different relationships, some that are symbiotic, some that are parasitic. 
And this is something that we could apply to a lot of the subjects that I have covered in this podcast, such as the relationship between individuals and a local society and culture and the state as a formal government, how these different institutions interact, how they help one another and hurt one another and live off of one another, these types of things. And if you really understand how these types of relationships play out and how they build on each other and work with each other and interact, then you can really understand these things in many different settings, not just in nature. Since nature is one of the most complex and complicated sets of relationships, then it is definitely a good resource to use when understanding the world around you. People use examples from the natural world all of the time about how plants grow, about different species. You'll hear a quote at the beginning of a speech about, well, the eagle builds its nest in this high area on the cliff and blah, blah, blah. And they make a point about you know, whatever it is their speech is about. But that is a very common thing that people do. It's like starting with a definition and a speech. But people make parallels to nature all the time when they are giving analogies and metaphors for points they're trying to make. And you can do that for just about anything because nature is so complex. There is so much going on. There is so much diversity. You can pull from that for basically anything you could possibly think of. And so if you are actually studying nature and observing nature and learning through nature, then you're really going to be able to understand these same concepts and relationships in just about any other setting around you, whether it be in the workplace or when you're coding a computer program or when you are building relationships and making friends, maybe dating, whatever the case may be, your relationship with your parents, with your boss, how your company interacts with its customers and interacts with its suppliers, how those relationships feed off of each other. All of these things are things that you can get the basic concepts for, parallels for, examples for, from nature, from studying nature and observing nature. All of this stuff is in nature, how all these ecosystems work and all the different moving parts and pieces. It gets so complicated, so complex. When you look at a forest, it goes all the way down to the layer of below the soil and all the different root systems that interconnect and talk to each other and the fungus, the different types of fungi that grow in there and on the surface and on the trees and on dead trees and how all those things interact together. Plus, you've got the leaves that fall down, you've got the little saplings that spring up and they're sheltered by other bigger trees and bushes that help them to grow, but they can't grow unless there's a spot that is letting sunlight in enough for that specific species of plant or tree. And if it does receive the right conditions or at least good enough conditions to continue to grow, it will. It'll start to grow. But if it doesn't and there's no place for it to grow there, it dies out just as a little sapling or doesn't even get to sprout. And 
Then you add in the aspect of animals that are coming around and eating things and that are pooping in the forest and that's adding fertilizer and just all these different things that build on each other. They exist in the human world as well, in society as well. We have these different functions that are performed in our society with our relationships and you can really understand that so much better if you are exposed to nature, if you learn how to observe the world around you and observe how these different things relate to each other, that kind of stuff. In general, when you get to a deeper level of observing nature, you really get into critical thinking and problem-solving skills. You learn how to analyze systems as a whole, and while you're analyzing those systems, you're picking apart all the different pieces and how they relate. You are learning about individual species and how they interact not only with each other, but also with their environment as well. Geography and the weather of the local region and the animal species that are there and the plant species that are there and the bacteria and humankind's impact on that area, how all of these things work together you're having to use critical thinking and complex analysis and problem-solving skills to really figure out how all of these things connect together, how they affect each other, and what possible effects potential changes may have on the ecosystem as a whole. So if you change this one aspect and this one piece, or you take out this one species, or you add in this one species, or you have this certain type of weather pattern change, or whatever, when you change one aspect, how does it affect the whole and how does it affect all the other related aspects of that? So as you can tell, this gets very complicated, but it really helps to build critical thinking and problem solving and analysis and these types of things, which is what we really want as we learn and as we grow in our education, whether it be as kids or us as adults. We learn as we observe nature that we are a part of a much bigger world. We kind of get a feel for that scope of where we fit in in the ecosystem and in societies through that. So it's not just how humans are related to the environment around them and affect the ecosystem. It's also how me as an individual, how I affect the local community around me and the different relationships and institutions that I'm involved with, how I affect them and how they affect me and how changes within these institutions make major changes within my life as an individual. How do these things happen and how would I learn how to observe these things and how to pick them out, how to recognize them as they are happening, and even be able to point out things that might happen in the future that have a high probability of happening. How am I going to learn how to identify these things, recognize these things, observe them, analyze them? Well, one way is by studying nature. If I am familiar with nature and ecosystems and how these things relate there, then I can easily make parallels and I have learned how to observe the world around me, relationships around me and how those things evolve. Another way that observing nature affects how we look at the world and how we learn and our education is in relation to our food and nutrition. We start to learn where our food comes from, and in doing so, we also learn more about our food as a whole and about nutrition and about diet and about what things affect that food and affect the nutrition of that food. 
And if we can understand these things and we observe these things, then we can really understand our own health in a much better way and much more complete way. We can understand how chemicals that might be introduced into an environment might affect the food supply there and how that might affect the species that consume that food. And that could be an example such as corn and the people who eat corn products in just about everything they eat. Or we could look at the density of nutrition in certain foods that as a seed sprouts and at the very beginning, you have a lot of nutrients that are condensed and packed into a very small package. So you have things like the microgreens movement where people are taking these very new sprouts and these new growth sources and eating them directly and taking advantage of the jam-packed nutrients that are in them. Well, how are you going to know that that's something that might be good for you and that might be much more nutritious if you don't understand how the life cycle of a plant works and how the nutrients are built into that and what the concentration is at different points in its life cycle and how their environment affects this. Fruit is a similar example on the opposite side where as fruit hangs on a bush or a tree for longer and longer periods of time, it is actually building more and more nutrients. And so you get more nutrient-rich food if it is allowed to stay on the vine for a longer period of time. Now, if you compare this to most mass production facilities and our general food ecosystem that we consume through corporations and large-scale farms, they will typically pick fruits and vegetables very early in the life cycle, and that allows them to ship easier. They don't bruise as easily, and they can last a lot longer. And as they are being shipped and going to different locations, they will ripen on their own, even when they are picked off of their nutrient source. But they're obviously not getting any more nutrients. So they're getting picked very early on before they have nearly the amount of nutrients they could potentially have. And then they are basically artificially ripening, and then you eat them. And so that food is going to have much less nutrient value in it than if you were to, for example, grow your own food and not pick it until it's ripe right off the vine and eat it quickly. It may not last as long. It might bruise easier, but it's going to be so much more nutritious and you don't really need it to last that much longer. You're not going to put it on a shelf and have it sit there while people come in and might buy it and might not. That's not what you do. You're growing it. You are eating it. You might sell it to a few people or give some out to your family, but that's something you can do on a small scale where you don't have the same issues that a mass production facility has. And if you are aware of these types of things, then you are able to greatly increase the nutrition in your own diet through some small minor changes and you will know what types of things to change, what types of things to shift, what to focus on, because you understand how plants grow, you understand how fruit develops, you understand how all of these things work together and how they work in you as well. And you can see a lot of these things in animals. So with many animals, they will eat diets that are very high in carbs in the springtime and when they're very active. And then in the fall, when they're going to come to a much more docile period in their activities, they're going to 
change their diet slightly and shift that to be a much more protein and fat heavy diet. And that allows them to build more fat, which allows them to stay warmer for that winter period when it does get colder. It allows them to store energy efficiently as fat. That is a very efficient source of energy that you can store for a long period of time as a living organism. And these are things that we can understand. But as you understand these things and you know why animals do this and how they do and what foods they are eating... Then you can start to identify which foods have the highest fat content, why they are eating them, what effect it has on the different animals, and you can really understand a lot better the relationship between diet and the effect it has on one's body, on one's maybe body fat percentage, or things like this, and you can really see that because you have observed it. You have identified that in many different animals and how their diets affect how they live and how they change them with the seasons and how they are eating certain foods at certain times. And when that same species is in an environment where they don't have access to a certain food group or that food group is tainted, what effect does that have on that species in that specific example? And then from this, we can apply that to ourselves in our own diet and we can better understand the food that we eat and how it affects us and how we might want to shift our own diet. Another great thing about nature in general is that it really focuses imagination and attention and variety in life. It focuses in on these things and brings these things out in us. If we are playing outside, you're having to use your imagination and be very creative because you're not using pre-made toys. You're not playing a video game. You don't have a computer or a phone that you're pulling something up on. You are just using the natural surroundings around you and entertaining yourself through that. And in order to do that, you have to have a pretty good imagination and be creative. This obviously applies very heavily to young children, but it can apply to adults as well. If you can't entertain yourself doing a walk or a hike through the woods, then maybe you need to work on that. That might be a good skill to start to build. If you would just get super bored sitting on a cliff and enjoying an overlook, then again, that might be a skill you might want to build. Being able to enjoy yourself and entertain yourself in nature is something that really makes sure that you have the skills of patience and creativity and attention and imagination. All of these things are things that are very necessary if you're going to have a nice time out in nature by yourself or even with a friend. And the more time you spend in nature and interacting with nature, the more you build up these skills within yourself, which are very applicable to your everyday life and your job and your career, your parenting, whatever relationships you're involved with. These are things that can really help you. And obviously, as kids that are learning and being educated and figuring out how the world works, these are skills that are very important. Kids aren't just taught by teachers and parents and textbooks. One other teacher that plays a very big role on children is their environment. The environment itself that they are around is another teacher, and that's something that you can really take advantage of. That applies to us as well. The environment that we put ourselves in and how we spend our time, that has a great effect on us and what we are learning, what skills we are building, or what skills are diminishing within us because of the surroundings and environment we are putting ourselves 
ourselves in, this is something that we should at least be aware of and be making some moves to make sure that we are building some positive skills within us, that we are reinforcing these trends and this learning that we want to do that then increases our education as a whole and increases our productivity, our potential, our success in life and the things that we do. And all of this is related to nature. Nature is something that can bring out all of these things within us, within children and within adults. As we start to value this relationship between us and nature, and as we start to be able to observe all these aspects of ecosystems and how different things relate to each other and the complexity of nature, then we can really appreciate the natural world around us much more. We begin to realize and care about our impact of the world around us and the management of this world in that sense, which is something that we as humans have a very large responsibility for. We are stewards of this world. We have a huge impact on the world, and we make a lot of decisions that really affect the natural environment and different ecosystems in different parts of the world. And as we build our relationship with nature and increase our awareness and the value we place in nature, we can really start to hone in on these aspects of kind of our feelings towards nature and how we care about nature and how we manage our relationship with nature, which is all very important because the environment is a pretty big deal. I am personally not one that is going to hound people about climate change and global warming, but I do believe that it is extremely important that we take care of the world around us, that we do what we can to live in a way that does not have a major negative impact on ecosystems and nature and our natural environment. One last aspect of nature and us is not how we affect nature, but how nature can affect us. And this can happen in many different ways, but there are a lot of therapies and there are a lot of studies that have been done that really show that nature can help us in many Many ways, even in medical conditions and things like this. You've got trauma therapy that is very big on using dogs and cats and service animals, horses even, that has been very successful in helping trauma patients, in helping older, lonelier patients as well and helping people with special needs. That's something that has been a big deal. Bringing in a dog to a special needs class in a school setting can really calm down an entire classroom. I have actually been around a class that did this. They brought in a service dog. They noticed that this made a huge difference in the behavior of the kids in the class, and so they just started bringing the dog all the time and brought it in nearly every day, and it has made a very positive impact on that class and on those children and on their behavior. There is also something called nature therapy, and there has been a phrase coined from, I believe it was from Last Child in the Woods, which was a book that talked about the lack of exposure to nature that children in today's world have and how this affects them. And he coined this phrase, nature deficit disorder and directly talks about the relationship between nature and ADD and using nature as a way to treat ADD. So if you have a child that really has problems with focusing, with 
keeping their attention, with having patience with their behavior, then this is something that has been tested where you take the child out and you make sure they are in an outdoor setting for long periods of time every day. And studies have shown that this actually has a very large impact on the child's behavior. They can pay attention more. They are more focused. They have less unspent energy that's just pent up in them. And it can be very beneficial for kids that struggle with ADD or ADHD. You also just have the more typical medicinal aspects of using herbs and using plants and using foods to help heal different things. If you get a cut, you might make a compress with comfrey or some sort of plant like that. Or if you get a burn, you might get some aloe vera and break the stem off of an aloe vera plant and rub the juices inside there on your burn to help it feel better and heal better. There are so many different ways that nature and the natural world around us can have a positive impact on us and can really affect us as well. Even just the weather and people's moods Places that have a lot of sunshine generally have people that are happier than people that live in areas that see much less sunshine throughout the year. Related to this would be things like how much vitamin D someone is being exposed to and absorbing. But even if you live in an area that is very sunny and has very nice weather all the time, but you stay indoors all the time, you're not getting any of these advantages. The point is that you have to be out in nature in order to get a lot of these benefits. You have to observe nature in order to start to learn what these different relationships are and how ecosystems work together and how to build just observational powers in general so that when you are out in the world, you actually pick up on little things. You pick up on little signals and little signs and how people interact with each other and interact with systems. And this really stands out much better, much more prevalently if you have built up that skill of observation and analysis and critical thinking by observing nature, which is something that is much more subtle and much more complex than often watching people. So I'd like to shift now away from nature and towards technology. And when I talk about technology, I'm going to do some comparisons between technology and the digital realm and the physical realm or the natural realm. So this is not a dichotomy between technology and nature, like I said at the beginning, but there is a difference between physical, tangible things and digital and technology-related things. Overall, technology has a whole lot of potential. There are many new opportunities that are available to us that never were before, and more opportunities that are coming up every single day and every single year that make a large impact on society and on our world and on us as individuals. There are practical skills that it would be good to learn in order to operate efficiently in the modern world related to technology. But at the same time as all of these positive things, technology is also typically less interactive than when you deal with the physical world. It's also generally more entertaining. It sucks you in more. It's more enticing. It focuses your attention on it. There is always something moving, something flashing, new color, all of these things that are designed, specifically designed to get your attention and keep your attention. 
This is an aspect that technology has. The natural world, the physical world, doesn't really have that, at least not to the same degree. The physical world and physical interactions will generally be more educational than one that is being done digitally through technology. Now, there can be a lot of education to be had through technology and in a digital format. However, as I'll talk about in this section of the episode, there is typically going to be more educational opportunities and more learning being done in the physical realm versus a comparable digital equivalent. So to begin with, let's talk about how do we actually learn? What are the things that help us to build our education and to learn and to understand the world around us? Well, I'm going to go with a familiar framework for those of you who have kept up with this podcast, and that would be that of the trivium. So grammar, logic, rhetoric. So again, how do we learn? Well, we use our senses. We hear, we see, we touch, we smell, we taste. We gather all of this data, all of this information through our senses. That's one of the first ways in which we learn and how we gain our education at first and learn the most basic stuff. Then, as we move on, we get into the logic phase, and this would be through discussion, through taking notes, drawing, journaling, designing, planning, deciphering, this kind of stuff. That is, taking the things that we have learned, all of these basics that we have gathered through our senses, and then understanding them and taking them apart and really learning about them and what they are and how they work and how they interact. Then we move on to the final stage of education, of learning, and this would be rhetoric. This would be how do we take these things that we now understand and teach them? How do we debate them? How do we write convincingly about them or give a convincing speech about them? How do we apply a plan or build or construct something with these things that we have learned about? and the knowledge that we have about how they work together. So we use all of this information and this data to do something with it that benefits us or helps us achieve a goal that we have for us or for others. Now, it should be obvious that in this first stage of learning, the grammar stage, when we use our senses, you can't use nearly as many senses in a digital format as you can in a physical format. That is just the way it is. You can't really touch and feel things the same way. You can't smell them and taste them the same way. There might be ways of doing this to an extent as technology progresses, but it's not the same. It's not to the same extent as you can in the physical world. When you move on to the logic stage, yes, you can discuss things with somebody online in a chat room or on a forum, but that's definitely not the same as sitting down and having a conversation with them. Yes, you can still draw things through different computer programs. You can use CAD software and get pretty specific and very detailed, but it's still not the same as designing something in person, drawing a set of blueprints drawing out a sketch or constructing a prototype yourself by hand with certain materials. You are not as involved when you do these things in a digital format. 
the same, again, is true in the final stage of rhetoric. You can teach things to others by writing a blog entry or creating a video or doing any number of digital formats for teaching, but it is not the same as one-on-one direction and teaching and instruction. It's just not. It's not the same to debate things with somebody or to try to convince somebody of an idea. It's not the same to, again, build something or construct something that you have designed when you are just clicking a few buttons on a computer and it runs out your model that you have created in the CAD software. It's very different to construct something and build something off of a design that you created and you're doing this in person with other materials. You're putting them together. You're gluing them together. You're nailing or screwing them together. However you're doing it, welding, it doesn't matter. You're building something physically and touching it, and there's just so much more involved here than there is in a digital format. So again, you can do these things in a digital format. You can do these things through technology. It's just not the same. Overall, there's just less direct interaction. The setting is a lot more contrived, controlled, set up. It's a lot less dynamic when you are doing things in a digital setting through technology as in comparison to doing things in person in a physical setting. You also have more reliance on things other than yourself when you do things through technology. You're having to rely on that technology itself. You're having to rely on the hardware that you're using. You're having to rely on the software and the programs that are running in that technology. You're having to rely on the people that build those programs that maintain that software, you have to rely on your internet connection, all of these different things. Whereas in a physical setting, although you still do have tools, you have things that you are using, you have nearly complete control over those things and you are relying on yourself. You are creating things yourself. You are involved in interacting yourself without having these intermediaries, without having this reliance on other things or other people. One of the other big negatives with technology is that you're not building the companion skills that you are building when you are doing things in the physical realm or observing nature. I talked about these other things that you get out of experiencing nature. You are learning about systems. You're learning how to observe your surroundings and building these observational skills. You are connecting on a whole nother level. You are direct source learning in a sense. You are not watching a video of something or a representation of something or an example of something. Instead, you are watching that something itself. You are observing it directly. You are analyzing its behavior directly as it happens. That's a very different experience. Now, at the same time, technology is not bad. Again, it's not just that you can't get as much out of technology as you can in the physical world. There's another side to this. There are some things that you can get through technology that you can't get in the physical world. For example, if you look at a nature comparison, you may be able to do some bird watching and do some nature walks and observe birds in their natural habitat and how they interact with their local ecosystem. And this is something that could be very educational. At the same time, 
you are probably not going to be able to study toucans and bald eagles and penguins in your educational pursuits. You are going to be limited. You are probably going to be lucky if you can study one of these things in their natural habitats. Whereas with technology and through technology, you can study all of these different species and thousands more. You can watch videos of them. You can read articles about them. You can listen to interviews and lectures about these different birds species with pictures and videos that go with them and observations that other people have done. So this is something that technology opens up for you. You can watch these birds catch their prey over and over again in many different fashions, many different types of prey. You're not going to see that in the wild, not nearly as much and not with as much diversity or regularity. It might mean a lot more to watch a bald eagle catch a fish in person that might feel so much better. It might be so much more beautiful to see that in person, but you will only see that a handful of times versus when you are watching videos, you could watch two dozen videos in a matter of five minutes of bald eagles catching fish. So it's just very different, but technology does open much more for us and for our education and our learning. While the content we are experiencing through technology might be much more controlled and contrived, and in one sense, this may not be a very good thing. So for example, you can watch videos of bald eagles catching fish, but you're not following that bald eagle as it is coming from its nest, it is searching out its prey, it is swooping down getting the fish, then it's going back to its nest, and it is feeding that to its young. You're not getting the full picture, you're just seeing a short clip of it swooping down and catching a fish. So again, it's much more limited, it's much more controlled, it's only about a specific thing from a specific angle getting across a point that it wants to get across. That is the point of creating a video. You're getting a point across, you're putting something out there, and you have intentions as a creator for what you want this video to achieve. And as a consumer of this video, I would basically just be getting whatever it is that that video is giving to me, and I'm very limited on that. I can't get more out of that. So on one hand, this controlled, contrived aspect is a negative, but on the other hand, it can be a very big positive. If you are specifically just looking at how a bald eagle catches its prey, you can learn a lot more through technology because you can see this over and over and over again, and you can control specifically what you see. You can only watch them catching the prey and how their talons work and how their beaks work and how they fly off with it. This is something that you can study in a very controlled manner through technology, whereas out in the wild, you don't really control a whole lot. You can observe, you can learn a whole lot, but you are not going to be able to watch that action over and over and over again on command. It's just not possible. With this, you're going to be spending much less time learning and building your education if you use technology, because you can control what you are watching, what you are learning, what you are interacting 
interacting with, it is a much more controlled environment, and therefore it takes a lot less time. It takes a lot less time to watch a few videos than it does to go on a long nature walk and do long, detailed observations using your patience and this kind of thing. These are time-consuming activities, whereas watching videos or lectures online might not be quite so time-consuming. Maybe you can listen to a lecture while you are getting a workout in, and so you are able to make better use of your time, more efficient use of your time. shouldn't really say better because you might not be getting as much of an education that way or learning as broad of a scope of information when you are doing it that way, but you can get stuff done a lot quicker, a lot more efficiently. And so that's something to consider. Again, there's pros and there are cons. Another positive to technology is that there have been new ways that have been created to interact with things, to design things, and to run models to get more information out of these. You can make designs digitally and run it through simulations, through software, for things that you could never really do in the real world, but you can do this through technology. For example, you could build an entire city and see how traffic would go through the streets at certain times of day. You can set up simulations for this, and then you can change different factors and different variables and see how that affects the flow of traffic. And you can study any number of different aspects of this through simulations, through software, through technology. You can't really do that in real life. You're not going to be able to change traffic patterns with the click of a button or build 10 skyscrapers in a matter of seconds. That That's just not something you can do. So again, you can get much more out of technology than you can in the real world, but again, it's different. So to look at some of these comparisons and see how in one way it is going to be much better to do the physical version than the technology version, but at the same time, there's not as much available to you. So a book versus a video is a good example. This is a very good example of active versus passive learning. When you're reading a book, you are actively reading. Hopefully you are underlining things and making little notes in the market. Margin. This is something that you are doing. You're using your imagination as you are reading the words on the page. You are making connections yourself. Whereas if you're watching a video, that is very passive. You are just sitting back, soaking it in. It's all just being put into your brain. You're not doing much. You're thinking about it some, but that's about it. There's also just a difference between having physical notes on a page and physical pages versus doing these things digitally. Even if you are having to click a button or if you can type a few notes as the video is playing, it's just not the same. You're not interacting with it as actively or in the same ways. And this does create a different dynamic. Now, on one hand, this would definitely lean towards a book as being more educational, but there is a much more limited scope that you can get from a book. Yes, you can get a picture in a book, and if you are reading a book that has pictures, you can see some specific things that are just 
not the same when you're just reading a description. You get more out of things if you can actually visually see exactly what it is in addition to reading a description of it. However, in a video, you can actually see that thing in action. You can really understand how it moves and what it looks like because you can see it through a video, which is only enabled through technology. Another example would be a drone. So your two possibilities would be that you either physically build a drone, you buy a kit, you build the robotics, you attach a battery, you get the rotors, you do all the different things, and you put it all together, you assemble it, you've planned it, then you can fly it yourself. This is something you can do physically. On one hand, that is technology, but you are interacting with that in a very physical way. You could do the same thing digitally, though. You can use technology to design a drone in a CAD software program. You can design how the different aspects of it work and how they turn and how it's powered. Then you could have the program run a simulation of what this looks like. You can maybe attach a controller, maybe an Xbox controller, to your computer and fly it using joysticks, and it's running a simulation on your screen. So you can actually test out this drone that you've created online. But again, it is different. You have physical interaction when you are building a drone in person. You are watching the results of this in person and you're directly interacting with that. You are not watching it on a screen. You are seeing it right there in front of you. You are hearing it crash when it crashes and you are seeing the results of that. You also are ending this project with a tangible physical product. You have something from this versus in the digital realm, you have a representation of something. Again, it's more real versus pretend in a sense, but at the same time, you can digitally design a large jet aircraft and test that out, whereas you can't really do this in your backyard. So there are things that are definitely enabled through technology, but it's not the same. The interaction is very different there. So although using tech can still be interactive, it can be multidisciplinary, it can be engaging, but it's just usually not to the same extent at least. You can accomplish the same results via video chat, for example, as you can through a face-to-face conversation, but again, it's just not the same. Yes, you can still see them and you can still read their facial expressions to an extent, but to be there in person just adds a whole nother layer, a whole nother dynamic, another environment, and it really increases what you get out of that interaction. So overall, what I would say personally is that ideally you choose the natural physical world as the primary teacher. And this relates to education as well as just our continued learning as adults as well. We want to use the physical natural world as the main teacher, but then what we want to do is use tech to supplement the things that we can't do in a physical natural setting. So we have things like I've mentioned that tech enables that we can't do physically ourselves. There are things that are digital that don't exist in the physical world. You can't observe them in nature. You can't observe Bitcoin in nature and how that works and cryptography. You can get a lot of principles and concepts from studying ecosystems, but 
it is definitely very different. You're not going to learn about cryptography. You have to get on a computer to learn that. So again, you use tech, but it is supplementary. It's not the main source of learning. You act, you create, you get involved, you build in the most interactive and all-encompassing way possible, which is usually going to be the physical realm, but at times it is the digital and technological level. It is like theory versus practice. Both are important. Theory is a very important thing to get down, to study, to know, but practice is uh, obviously a lot more practical. It is a different dynamic, and it is something that probably should have more focus. They're both important, but focusing on how to apply theory and applying each step in a more beneficial and inclusive way, rather than staying purely theoretical, it is is just a much fuller education, more practical education, a overall better use of your time if you are trying to learn things. You want to know how to apply things. You want to know how they relate. You want to know how you can use them in your everyday life, and you don't really get this to the same degree when you're looking at theory. Just like when you're dealing with the digital realm through technology, you are not interacting with it in the same way, you're not applying it in the same way, and it's just different. So again, use it for the things that it is strong for, but in general, as much as possible, try to take advantage of the physical realm. This is even true with something like entertainment. There's a big difference, like I mentioned before, between reading a book and watching TV. But this can also be applied to something like games. So if you're playing a board game with other people in person, this is a very different experience than playing a video game with some people online. Yes, you can still talk to them. Yes, you're still playing a game together and interacting together. But but it's really not the same. You're not getting as much out of it. You're not building relationships as deeply and thoroughly. You are not physically interacting with it, so you're not quite as engaged on that level. Even though you can be super sucked into a video game and it can really get you involved, it's just different. And at least my opinion is that you should focus more on this physical level, play more board games than you do video games, read more books than you do watch TV, ask around and look up references instead of just typing something into a Google search, build with wood or Legos depending on your age versus getting online and playing Minecraft and building something on some online software. I know for me personally, I really enjoy sitting down on the couch at the end of the day and watching a show. I'll watch a 45-minute show or so. I do this maybe four nights a week or more, depending on what my schedule is, but I enjoy that. I know that I will probably get more out of reading a physical book than I will watching a show, but for me, that's how I unwind. That's how I calm down. That is how I rest and relax. My job during the days is fairly physical, and I have a lot of projects that I do. I've got little kids that I deal with and play with and body slam around on the couch, and so I'm very active during the day and sitting down on the couch, shutting down, not having to use my brain or think about things really is relaxing for me. I am listening to podcasts all day long at work or talking to people or thinking about things. My brain is going all the time. I need that time to shut down. So that is where I use technology. Again, 
Creating this podcast is something that I do as a hobby, as an outlet for me, and I can only do that through technology. Now, yes, I would probably get more out of the information if I were writing a book, but that would take me about five years to write a book versus doing a one-year season on this podcast, and I chose to go the technological route. So again, I personally use both. I'm not saying don't use technology or shun it in any way. Use it, but use it for your benefit in the ways that it will benefit you the most and focus on the more physical interactive options as much as possible in the ways that will still help you to accomplish your goals and learn and get more education or educate someone else such as a child. So those are my thoughts overall with the relationship between nature and technology and how these things relate to learning and education. I felt like these things came up a lot in the previous few episodes, and it felt like a good theme to talk about for this themes episode that we do in each series. So that covers that it was a little more broad and a little different than the other episodes, but hopefully it was enjoyable and useful for you, and I will wrap it up there. The next episode will be the case study episode where I will talk about the Sudbury school model and then the Ron Paul homeschooling curriculum and then do the case study on the Praxis program for a college alternative. And that will wrap up the series on education. So please come back next time for that episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for all of your support of all kinds. Thank you to my patron for this podcast who financially supports. Also, thank you for the Pivx team. I have received a few donations from multiple people involved in the Pivx project, the cryptocurrency. I did the case study episode on that a few episodes ago in the previous series on blockchain, and I was in contact with some people that are involved in that project, and a few of them sent in some tips for me in Piv, in cryptocurrency, and I greatly appreciate that. Thank you very much. Hopefully you guys ended up listening to the podcast more than just that one episode, and so hopefully you are hearing this. Thank you very much for that and for that support. I really appreciate that. I would also like to encourage everyone to spread the word about this podcast to anybody that you think might be interested, share it on social media, and thank you very much for those of you who have. A few people have shared this on Twitter, I know, and hopefully you are doing that on your other social media accounts as well, and I thank you very much for doing so. I also wanted to mention that I was featured on another podcast recently. They had a section where they wanted to have people send in submissions for their view of how society today has a very complicated relationship with technology. And so it kind of relates to this episode today. But I did submit something for that. I recorded a short commentary on my views in relation to that question and that concept. And I I actually felt like it was really good. I listened to it and I was like, hey, hey, yeah, that sounds really good. And I was proud of myself. It went very well. And they played the clip. They did a little bit of commentary on what I said as well. So if that's something that you would like to check out, the podcast is called Beyond Reproach. And I did put a link to that on the Twitter page. Maybe I will add a link to the website. It 
doesn't really seem like a big deal, but it is something that relates to this episode, and it is another place that I was featured, and I have more commentary about things that you might be interested in. So if you want to check out that episode, then look up the Beyond Reproach podcast and look for the episode on the complicated relationship with technology, and you can listen to that. I think I am one of the last clips that they play, but it is a good one. The overall episode is pretty good, too, so thank you guys if you end up listening to this podcast those of you who are involved in the beyond reproach podcast thank you for including me and i think that is everything that i have so thank you very much for listening thank you for your support of all different kinds please come back next time and listen to the final episode in this series on education i'm out peace thank you for listening goodbye